0: All right, so we are now changing the format of our podcast. And instead of just recording the audio from a Sunday morning message, I decided that uh, since we have a great producer in Lisa Welly and she does all these behind the scenes work for us, that we could actually do a podcast, like a real podcast, where I go through all of the sermon notes. But uh, not necessarily as a sermon presentation, more, of a, more like a, a conversation. And from time to time, I'll bring other people in and we can be talking about what's going on. So welcome to the very first new way of doing our podcast here at the Palview Christian Church. My name is Pastor Trey Hinkle, and uh, it is good to have you join us. And I just want to pray, and then we will uh, launch into our week two of our marriage series, What Happy Couples Know. Father God, as we are listening to your word, I would pray that we would be people who would truly understand your heart. God, that uh, we would look beyond just the words on the paper, but that we would understand that there was a reason that you gave us marriage, and a reason that you gave us the roles that you gave to us as men and women. Lord, marriages are such important things to your kingdom, and yet we are attacked, and uh, people are trying to redefine what's going on, and Lord, that's just not a good thing. So I pray that you would, whoever's listening to this, Lord, that you would begin to soften their hearts to your wisdom, to your words, and that they would learn how to submit to you and because of that, their marriage would become more rich and more fulfilling and more joyous. It's in Jesus' name and his authority that I pray these things. Amen. All right, so we're in part two of the series of what happy couples know. And uh, to recap what we talked about last week, I want to, to remember that uh, all of us enter into relationships with a box of desires uh, desires for what we want for our future or our family for our finances, for all of those things that are incorporated into our marriage. One of the main reasons you actually chose your spouse was that you thought that they would be the one who could fulfill all of those desires. That's the great American romantic dream, if you will. So with these desires, we enter into our lifelong relationship. But the way that things tend to happen, those desires along the way somehow just become expectations. All the things that we thought were just desires to our spouse now feel like they have to do these things. It's homework for them. They have to hold one more thing for us. And they're just piled on our spouse, and they, they feel like they can never measure up to our expectations, and that's the problem in marriages. See, desires are things that you would like to have happened, uh, and, and you would be blessed if they do happen. But expectations are essentially a strong belief that something better happen. It's going to happen. It is supposed to happen. And if it doesn't happen, then something is very, very wrong. And so in a marriage, couples exchange their boxes, uh, not of their desires, but now of their expectations. And now you get into this game of negotiations. Well, I'll do this if you will. Uh, If you want to do your way, you've got to do this my way and back and forth. And it eventually leads to a relationship that's defined uh, by a debt-debtor relationship. You owe me. You owe me because I did this for you. You owe me this. But here's the problem. If you get into this debt-debtor relationship, if your spouse owes you, then they can't ever really give you anything, can they? They really can't bless you with anything. I heard a great illustration that, uh, let's say, I owe or you owe me money. Let's say you owe me $100, and you come up to me one Sunday, and you say, Hey, Trey, I, I, I want to give you this $100. Now, you owed me $100. You give me a $100. Is that $100 a gift? Does that actually speak love to me or blessing? Uh, probably not. I mean, I, I'm thankful. I'm grateful that you paid me back, yeah. But what if you only gave me $75 instead of the $100? Now, I might say it out loud, but I would probably wonder, well, thank you, but where's the rest? You see, gratitude is minimal when you are only getting what you expected to get. You're not blessed. That that gift is not a blessing. Man, you know what's a blessing? It's a blessing when a congregation decides to go above and beyond to bless their pastor by giving generously because they heard that he had a need with his truck that was unsafe to drive in the snow, and that they actually gave generously and anonymously so that his truck could be fixed and made safe. Now, that would be a blessing. And by the way, church, uh, what an unexpected, humbling blessing that was. And I want to thank each and every one of you that uh, participated and, and contributed to that. I thank uh, Dave Rands, who's actually doing the work for me, and for Denchi Rands, who kind of spearheaded this effort. Uh, that was totally unexpected, and it's a total blessing because you guys didn't owe me that at all. You didn't owe me that at all, but you gave, and boy, that was a gift, and it was a blessing, so thank you again. Thank you. It, it's way better. I've got to tell you, it's way better to get something that was not owed to you. I'm much more grateful when that happens. I feel more blessed. And that's why I said at the end of last week's message that we would do well in our marriages to remember that whatever our spouse gives us, that's not a requirement. It's, it's not owed to us. Whatever our spouse gives to us is a blessing. See, God didn't design marriage to be a debt-debtor relationship, a contract that is established according to a code of conduct. Biblical relationships on the whole, And godly marriages in particular boil down to being a competition almost to see who can submit to the other person better. It's like those crazy chipmunks that you see on Looney Tunes, uh, you know, where they're like, after you. Oh, no, 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 after you. And, you know, what's funny is they mean it. They really do want to see the other person blessed and go before them. It becomes a fun race to see who can be the servant of the other person better. That actually makes for a very fun and healthy and godly relationship. It's what Jesus commanded his disciples to live out in their relationships. So I think it's especially true for husbands and wives. So let's go to John chapter 13. This is, again, right before Jesus would go to the cross. And, and let's look at what Jesus tells his disciples. It's, it's the end of his ministry, John 13, verse 34. He's hours away from being arrested. It's the night before he would go to the cross, And he's giving these last-minute instructions to his disciples, as uh, our elder, Steve Pittman, uh, reminded us last week in his meditation. And and one of the last-minute instructions Jesus gives is this. He says, a new command I give to you, love one another. At which point they're probably thinking, um, Jesus, hate to tell you this, but that's not new. Uh, God told us that a long time ago. That's not a new command. In fact, you've told us that before. But you see jesus wasn 't through; He had more to say. He continues. He says, "As I have loved you, so you must love one another now They may be thinking back to how Jesus had shown love to them at that to that point Maybe it was his his acceptance of the outcast tax collector Matthew, or the patience that he would show each time Peter put his foot in his mouth i don't i don 't know maybe it was even just before this. Moments before this, when Jesus had picked up a basin of water and a towel and washed their feet during the lowest and the dirtiest job that there was to do before dinner time. As I have loved you. What does that really mean? Well, like I said, just a few hours later, Jesus would be put on trial and uh, he would be beaten and he'd go to the cross and then he would die to pay the penalty of the sins of mankind. What kind of aha moment do you think it was when the disciples realized what just happened? What happened at the cross? For for them to realize, wait a second, it was our sin, not his, that put him there. That Jesus died for them. Folks, that would have been earth shattering. It would have been a true game changer because now this is the new command that Jesus was giving to them. As I have loved you, As I have gone to the cross to take care of your needs, so you must love one another. See, you've heard of the golden rule, do to others as you would have them do to you, right? I mean, all religions teach that. Do to others what you would have them do to you. But Jesus is raising the bar. He now gives them not just a golden rule. He gives them a platinum rule. And he says, listen, I want you to do for others what I, Jesus, have done for you think about what he did. Because now we have a completely different perspective when it comes to the way that we live, and the way that we relate to other people, and the way that we love. And and it's true no matter what relationship you're you're talking about. In God's upside-down kingdom, there is a call for disciples to love differently than how the world loves. And that love has all to do with a willingness and the ability to submit. So today, I want to play this out in Ephesians chapter 5. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 5, where we see this idea of submission played out in in Paul's instructions to the Ephesian church regarding marriage. If you go there to Ephesians chapter 5, I want us first to look at verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. All right, that concludes our lesson for today. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You you don't stop there. You you can't stop there because you heard that and you hate it, Uh, mainly because of what that word has meant to us today, submit, and how people have abused this verse for centuries. You you hear that and you think, well, that means that you're saying I have no rights, that I'm a second-class citizen. And back In those days, unfortunately, women were second-class citizens, and they had no rights. It's like the first century people, the ancients, they had not the slightest understanding of God's original design for the marriage covenant. They had no idea of the original equality that God had designed for men and women to have in his sight. And it takes the spiritual truth of a new covenant in Jesus to actually reestablish all of that. So yes... By the way that it's taught to us and how it's been abused throughout the centuries, we do hate this verse. Submit. Yeah, right. But if you're listening to this podcast, do not check out. Because I know some of you did. (laughs) Hopefully you didn't stop the podcast. And if you did, then you're not listening to what I'm saying now. Uh, But uh, even in your brain, even in your heart, don't check out yet. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Put down the shield, put down the sword, put down the gun <laughs> I want to get 'm going to share with you something that is only understood if you actually look at paul's actual words and phrasing that he uses not in the English because Paul did not speak English but in the original Greek in which he would have written his manuscripts, his letters to these churches. Now, last week, if you were at church or if you're watching our service, you saw that I had done an illusion. Uh, I had a magic box, and in those magic box, I I put these small desires. And then I I, I put the the box through marriage, this other box called marriage, and then we lifted that box, and all of a sudden, those little small desires turned into huge, heavy expectations. It it was hopefully kind of impressive. I, I know some of you were impressed because you asked if I was going to do another trick this week. Well, yes, I am. I'm going to make a word disappear from a verse in the Bible. Sound exciting? Now, w- what do I mean? Well, watch this. Uh, if you actually look at the actual Greek words, you, if you look at the actual Greek text, this is what it says word for word. Wives, to your husbands as to the Lord. And presto, I made a word disappear. That awful word, Submit. Gone, just like that. Poof. Where'd it go? Wives to your husbands as to the Lord. Where's the verb in that sentence? Oh, Pastor Trey, you made it disappear. Well, okay, no. I really didn't make it disappear. The verb is not missing. It's, It's there, but it's just not there in that sentence. Where is it? Well, I misdirected you you actually have to look one verse before verse 22 to actually see the verb. So let's do that right now. Let's put aside verse 22 for right now and see if there's a better way of understanding what Paul is trying to say here. So what does verse 21 say? It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I'm reading from the New International Version. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, isn't that a bit different? The word submit, the word that we all cringe at, is right there. But this first command is not to women at all. Well, at least not just to them. This command is given to the disciple, to the Christian, to those who are following Jesus. It doesn't matter their gender. It doesn't matter their race. It doesn't matter their age. The command is to the disciple. Paul Here is saying nothing different than what Jesus had said back in John 13 about his disciples needing to love each other as he loved them. Well, how did he love them? He put their needs first. He sought to fill that need. We had a need for forgiveness. We had a need to have our sins forgiven and washed away so that we could have a a right relationship with God. And that's what Jesus did. He submitted to God's plan for the cross, so that we would find our way back to God and have our deepest need filled. So Paul is saying the exact same thing to the Christian. If you are a disciple of Jesus, if you are following Jesus, he says, you need to love each other in such a way that you're willing to submit to the other person, no matter who it is, that you're willing to submit to the other person out of reverence for Christ. And so, right now, ladies, sit back, relax a bit, because I'm not going to address you guys first. I want to look at this passage backwards. And again, trust me, this is going to be a game changer, I promise. First of all, before we go backwards, I want to show you that the reason there's no verb there in verse 22, when Paul speaks to wives, is that that sentence is not the main idea. The main idea is not, wives, submit to your husbands. If it was, it would have had the verb. The verb, again, is back in verse 21. And so the main idea is what? Submit to one another, right? That's the main idea. That's the main idea of the passage. That's the main idea of what Jesus was teaching his disciples at the Last Supper before he demonstrated the kind of love that he was talking about by going to the cross. And frankly, it's, it's the main idea of the entire Bible, Paul would say in Philippians chapter 2, let each one of you not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is time and time again God's instruction to his people. So the main idea is verse 21. So then anything after verse 21 is just an explanation. It's just a clarification on what that might look like for wives, for husbands, for parents, for children, for employers, for employees. All sorts of relationships are brought into this understanding of submitting to the other person out of reverence for Christ, which is the main idea. And so we tend to focus in on what Paul says to the wives. But I find it fascinating that he actually only has to use one verse to explain it to the wives. Why? Because they're smart. They get it. They're on it. They're they're tracking it. But Paul actually has to use seven verses to explain it to us guys. Isn't Isn't that crazy? Ladies, you know, what, you know what you're talking about. You know, you, you've got you've to tell us several times to do something in order for us to actually get it. And, and if we do anything right, I've been told this, if we do anything right, you've you got to reward us. You've got to. If you want us to do it again, we have to be acknowledged for getting it right. And, and if we do something right on accident, well, then you really need to reward us, right? Then we're going to get it. That takes some time. Well, one verse for the ladies, seven verses for the men. So what does Paul tell the men? We're going to pick this up in verse 25. I'm going to go backwards, and I'll tell you why I'm going to go backwards. It's because it takes away any kind of defensiveness. People put down their shields and their swords when you look at it this way, and I think that's designed by God. So it says in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the Word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Boy, we've heard that a lot recently when we were talking about divorce, when we were talking about marriage in in week one. Now here it is again. For this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Now, we are so used to hearing verse 22, wives, submit to your husbands. But do you realize what Paul is actually telling husbands in these verses? He's telling them to submit to your wives. Wow. Wait a second. Again, not in the the way that our society now has come to see submission, but in a biblical way of understanding what submitting means. Paul is telling husbands that they need to submit to their wives. He's telling them to love them. Now, first of all, that's... The beginning of the submission. Because that was not a given back then in those days, in, in, in the Western world, in the first century. It wasn't a given that, that husbands would love their wives. They, they would have wives. They would have mistresses. They would love their mistresses. They would use their wives uh, as the managers of their household and give them legitimate children. There's, there was not a lot of love necessarily back then between husbands and wives. So even by loving them, Paul is saying you need to submit to them because they need you to love them. They need to see themselves as a priority for you, husbands. And then he says, listen, you you take care of your own needs, right? Well, when you became one flesh with your wife, guess what? Now you better not uh, neglect taking care of her needs as well because she is part of you. What does a woman need? What do, what do wives need? Wives need to know that they're valued, that they're still beautiful, that they are worth more than anything else that you have. Uh, the wives need to know that they're secure, that they'll be protected and provided for, that their children will be loved and cared for. Wives need to know that they matter to their husbands as more than just a, a servant and a housekeeper. She matters to the partnership. Now, please know, church, you, you got to know that this kind of teaching was radical for that time period. Those who preached the gospel of Jesus, they were declaring God's heart once again for the equal partnership of men and women. And in order to have equal partnership, that meant that you needed to put aside your will in order to take care of the needs of the other person. So husbands... It's, it takes putting aside your will to take care of the needs of your wife. And that's why there is a modifier in this command. Now, what is a modifier? If you remember back to freshmen in high school English classes, you'll know that a modifier is a word or a phrase that makes the verb come into sharper focus. I can tell you, I run. And you can have something in your mind about, okay, Trey runs, Right? I I run. But then I can add a modifier. I run slowly. I run awkwardly. And all of a sudden, the idea of Pastor Trey running changes, doesn't it? Yeah. So here's the modifier for the instruction to husbands. Paul is not just telling them to love their wives, which is the beginning of submission. He also tells them how to love them. And this is the complete act of submission. If you go back to verse 25, it says, husbands, love your wives. Here's the modifier. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, men, that modifier should make you sit up and take notice. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. That should stop you in your tracks because if you know the story, you know that it did not end up well for Jesus, did it? He died. He died To bring the fulfillment of the needs of mankind, He showed His love for us in submitting to the will of the Father, and He gave Himself up and died. Now, why do I like to go in this order? Because really, I believe that God begins with man. When He creates mankind, he creates the male and female, but he creates man first. Adam comes first. And it was to Adam that God gave the command to not eat of the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was Adam's responsibility then to impart that to his wife, to, to protect her, to guide her, to provide for her. And so when she then falls to temptation, yeah, Eve gets Eve gets the... the the, the bad rap, right? But I ask, why didn't Adam protect her? Why did Adam just leave Eve out there on her own to be tempted? He was not being a good partner, was he? We get so down on Eve, we say, stupid Eve. But Adam should have known better. He should have loved his wife better than he did. So before we look at wives submitting to their husbands, it's so good to look at it this way because God says to the man, you represent me in this relationship. Your wife represents the church, but you represent me. And who loves first? Jesus loves first. It says in 1 John that we love because he first loved us. So that's why it's so important for us to talk to husbands first because it's them who are supposed to start the cycle. We are to take care of our wives. We are to put them as priorities in our life. God's instructions for partnership is first given to man. Now, once we understand that modifier for men, that we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, now we get to the infamous verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands i want to pause right now, and I'd like to take a silent poll. Uh, You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to text me or or let me know where you stand on this. But, ladies, how many of you have husbands who actually deserve to be submitted to 100% of the time? Crickets are chirping. Any takers? Probably not. Probably not. That's why there's a modifier for you as well, for this instructions to you. That's why the modifier is so important. Because the command isn't merely just to submit to your husbands. It's to submit to them as to the Lord. That's the modifier. So even if your husband doesn't act like he's worthy to be submitted to or to be respected, Jesus is. And it's for Jesus' sake. It's out of reverence for Christ. We might even say that it's for the sake of the kingdom of God this upside-down kingdom, that wives learn to see the needs of their husbands and to love them in such a way that they have been loved by the Lord and to take care of those needs. Now, what needs do men have? Well, they need to know that they matter. They need to know that their opinion isn't just automatically dismissed as idiocy. Men need to know that we're respected, that we're not just sperm donors in this relationship. You see, when a society reduces men to idiots like, oh, Homer Simpson, for example, it changes the way that people view husbands and dads. It's like our society just makes fun of us. They mock us. They tell us that we're not needed, that, that being a man isn't important, and we need to change to be more feminine, in touch with our feminine side. Ladies, do you really find that a man who can't stand up for you and for your honor is attractive? Do you really find a man that is in touch with his feminine side is really what you really are wanting in a relationship? When we hear that we're not needed or we're not heard or we're not respected, unfortunately, men just stop trying. And Folks, that's not the best for our wives when husbands give up. So that's why the modifier is so important is because, you know, maybe they don't deserve it But Jesus asks wives to look at the needs of their husbands and to do what they can to fulfill those needs as a way of blessing them, as a way of giving them a gift. But it's not just the wives. It's the husbands as well. They need to look at their wives and know what their wife needs as well and be willing to give and to bless their wives. So, see, ultimately, happy couples know that it's mutual. It's not just a one-way submission street. Wives and husbands are both instructed very clearly to submit to one another because as they do that, it's really submission to the lordship of Jesus because he's the one who can make things right. He's the one who brings equality back into this relationship. And it's as he makes things right, as he puts things back into the heart of God, that's when we can experience the joy that God designed marriage to bring to us. Men, because of the way your Heavenly Father views the woman in your life, you are to treat her with extraordinary value. You're not better. You're not worth more. Your time is not more precious than hers. Your efforts are not more noble than hers. When you married her, you became one with her. Now go home and treat her like you would treat yourself. Better yet, Again, platinum rule. Treat her like Jesus treats you. Love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And ladies, because of the way your Heavenly Father views the man in your life, you are to treat him with extraordinary value, even if he doesn't deserve it at times. And so now we're back to where we began. Deserve. See, if a marriage ever evolves into just a question of who deserves what, then you will always get yourself stuck in the debt-debtor relationship. And then your marriage will never be a blessing. You'll never have a blessing in your marriage. You'll just get what you expected, or you won't get what's expected. You'll continually look at your spouse and say, you owe me, you owe me this. And folks, that's not healthy. Happy couples know that there is no Debt on the part of their spouse. But secondly, happy couples also know that submission must be mutual. Must be mutual. So as we wrap up, let me remind you, last week I gave you some homework. I wanted you to take inventory of what you have in your desire box. I wanted you to go home and and look truly at what your desires are. And then what was in your box that you have allowed to become expectations Uh, Are you realizing now how heavy of a burden you might have been putting on your spouse or that they have been putting on you? That's not fun. and That's where a lot of the tension and the uh, conflict is going to happen in a marriage. This week, you have an even more exciting and fun homework assignment because I want you to find out now what is in your spouse's box. I'm giving you permission. You you know, at Christmas time, you're not supposed to peek in the box, right? Last week, before I gave you my uh, illustration of the magic box, D.C. Lundy came into my office and was just chatting, and he peeked into the box. I'm going, dude, you're not supposed to look. You're not supposed to look. Well, this week, you have permission to look, okay? In fact, I, I want you to take a long time to just gaze into your spouse's box of desires. Now, how do you find out what's in their box? Well, you could try some covert investigation, or like an adult, you could just ask them. Now, I realize, guys, if you ask your wife what's in your box, she might faint because she had no idea that you even cared what's in her box, or, or she might even get mad. You mean to tell me that we've been together for 20 years, and you don't know yet what's in my box? <laughs> now, that's, that's risky. It's risky, I know, but it's an important step to ask. What's in your box? And ladies, if you ask your husband what's in your box, he'll probably say something like, Wait, I I have a box? (laughs) What are you you talking about? See, guys, this is why I wanted you to actually consider your box this last week. Uh, You need to know your desires because your wife needs to know your desires. And you're going to have to talk about it. And ladies, in this process, please know that men are going to be very, very scared to be naked and unashamed, if, if, if you will be. They're going to be scared to open up and to be vulnerable. They're going to be scared to talk about what's in our box. So please be kind, be patient with us. And in this process, prayerfully, husbands and wives will be able to talk through what desires they have for their marriage. And then they will begin that little fun competition of who can fulfill those desires better. See, this is the way forward. This is living and loving the way Jesus loved us, according to John chapter 13. And called us to love one another. See, he put us first. He found out what was in our box, and he decided to do what he could to fulfill what was in our box, the box of desires, the box of needs. He put us first. Right there at the cross, He put us first. And church, disciples of Jesus, Christians, it's now our turn in our marriage to put our spouse first. All right. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. And uh, know that I'll be praying for you guys and for every relationship that we have here at the church. Because this is a good thing to put into practice, no matter if we're talking about friendships or ministry partners, or spouses, this is so important for us to get. And so I'm praying that we get it. Um, if you want to connect with us, you can always email me at Trey T R E Y dot P B C C, which is the you know the words for or the the letters for Powell Butte Christian Church or for Peanut Butter Captain Crunch. Trey.pbcc at gmail if you had any questions or comments or needing some clarification on what I was talking about today, go ahead and and, and send me that. Um, uh, I wanna thank my producer, Lisa Welly, for all the work that she is putting in to uh, these podcasts, I want to thank our executive producer, uh, Steve Pittman, who has made all of this possible by giving us a YouTube channel and uh, setting us up uh, so that we could have good audio, good video for our services on Sunday morning. And I'm praying that these podcasts will become much more interesting if we use them as a podcast venue and, and structure and maybe even bring in other voices from time to time for conversations. I love you and I love uh, serving as your pastor and I pray that you will have a great week this week as you're trying to find out what's in your spouse's desire box.